Folks, we, we, we live in both perilous and opportunistic times. And so I, I believe that, uh, that it, it is very, very possible that we are at the threshold of the return of Jesus. But uh, until then, uh, i got to get through this message for today. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. It has been a, uh, since last Sunday, it has been a very difficult week with my allergies. Uh, for two or three days, I had no voice, and uh, it, was, uh, it was difficult uh, getting through that, and then all of the other things that, that follow that. But uh, I think that both my wife and I are on the mend as, as long as I stay from, as long as we stay from the outdoors, stay away from the outdoors. Uh, whatever you have blowing in Missouri, uh, uh, keep it in Missouri. Uh, but man, it, is, it has been miserable. Chapter, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, beginning at verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Daleah, son of Mehetobal, who was, sounds like a meatball, doesn't it? Who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. And they are coming to kill you at night. By the way, let me just... Let me just pause right here. Doesn't it sound suspicious to you that someone would say, let us go into the house of the Lord, let us lock the doors because they're coming to kill you. If someone told you that and says, let's find sanctuary in the house of God, you know, we think that it is, well, that's a wonderful thing. I want to find sanctuary in the house of God. But what does that tell the people? When you find sanctuary in the house of God, are you not exposing yourself to error, to some crime, that you have done something and now you are requesting of God to somehow house you? And that uh, if you run to the house of God, that you can do so with impunity. That, that somehow, that if, if, I could, if I can find my sanctuary in, in the house of God, that, uh, that the people won't harm me. We are, we are more fearful of what the people will say, more, fe more fearful what the people will do, than we are of what God will say and what God will do. I'm glad that Nehemiah doesn't fall for this, this little stunt over here. But he says, but, but I said, verse 11, but I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely that God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works of theirs and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. 
So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month Elul in, the, in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Also in those days, many letters went out from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechani, the son of Erah, and his son Johanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Man, I tell you, what happened to Nancy and Mary and John and Sue? Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Father, there is so much information in this passage. Father, may we get to the meat and the heart of this message that we might apply those godly principles that we learn here, Father, in our lives. Lord, that, uh, that our greatest fear is, is not the fear of people, nor the fear of threats. But Lord, our greatest fear would be the fear of a God who is both a God of love and a God of wrath. Father, may we be obedient to your commands. In Christ's name, amen. There are times when we may think that we as Christians, uh, that we live a life that is close to God and, that, and we live a life that pleases God, and that somehow because we are so wonderful in our relationship to God, we feel that, uh, that He has somehow obligated Himself to keep us from, from uh, adversities, and from annoyances and from afflictions. And we learn this not from the Scripture, but we learn this either because it is instinctive within us that there's a matter of self-preservation, or we think because we have watched some TV program and some television preacher has told us that, that we could be uh, prosperous and without problems in our life if we just give money to them. Well, none of that is true. Uh, life is filled with adversities and annoyances and afflictions. This kind of thinking stems from the idea that, that the trials and torments of life are attributed to sin. And therefore, if we have a problem, it's because sin is in our lives. And, and we say, well, because sin is in your life, you have, this, you have this issue in your life because you've done something wrong. And so because God is a God who is just, he is, going to, he is going to extend to you divine retribution in order that he may discipline you and punish you in order to bring you to fuller maturity. This is absolutely the most ridiculous thinking that has ever come across our minds. God does not punish us because we have sinned. God punished His Son because we have sinned. Our punishment, our punishment is seen in the blood and in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
not that God takes it out on us. You and I could never, could never repay for our sins. We can never, we can never extend to God any satisfaction for sin. Why? Because we are sinful people. This is the same kind of thinking that we find in Job's three friends. They attempted to tell Job that his sin was the reason for his illness. In a sense, they're saying to Job, God is getting even with you. So then Job responds to his three friends and he says, Sorry comforters are you all. Is there no limit to windy words? Job 16 verses 2 and 3. In our text, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem leave no stone unturned in hopes of getting Nehemiah to, to give up his building of Jerusalem's walls. They tried ridicule, threats, deception, and fear. And in these attempts to apply some, some way of snaring him to, in, into their trap, trying to get Nehemiah to, uh, to fall into the trap, they, they, they want him to sequester himself in the temple in order that he could save his own life. Look at, look at verse 10 of our text. He says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. And they're coming to kill you this night. In doing this, by, by Nehemiah going into the temple, closing the doors, hiding himself somewhere, by him doing this, he would be showing the people that he, as the governor, he is the governor of the land, that he would be showing the people that he's acting cowardly. That's what we need. We need a few more cowards in our world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. But God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The church wants to act timidly, fearfully. Folks, you all realize the kind of day that we're living in. Where the church is being hemmed about by the world by the pressures of culture and society. They want us to believe this or they want us to believe that. And if we don't, then they will find some kind of a name to give us in order to ridicule us and to threaten us and to bring fear into our lives so that we will succumb to their ideas and their ideals. Do you realize who you are? You're the church. Our head is not culture. Our head is not society. Our head is Jesus Christ. By acting cowardly, it, it would reduce Nehemiah's interest in building the wall. And it would reduce his influence with the people. Now, don't you find it interesting that Shemaiah tried to encourage Nehemiah to withdraw himself to the temple? By the way, do you know where this practice comes from? 
It does not come from the church, folks. You know, people say, we're going to go into the sanctuary of God. And I, listen, that, that does not originate with the church. It did not originate with God's temple. It originated with pagan temple practices. The heathen would go into their heathen temples and hide themselves because they had committed some crime. And they felt by going into these, these pagan temples that the gods would protect them, keep them safe. This is what Shemaiah is trying to get Nehemiah to do. He's trying to get him involved in a pagan practice that he should hide himself in the temple of God. If you were to hold out in the temple, then all would be safe. However, in the case of Nehemiah, safe would be the last thing that he would consider. And why, why, why is it bad for Nehemiah to do this? I'm going to give you four, four reasons here. Number one, his fear would be exposed. He would be showing the people that he is fearful. A leader should never, never, never demonstrate fear. And why? Because it rubs off on the people. The people, listen... Do you, do you realize this? When you, when you guys get a new pastor, I don't know if you're aware of this, when you get a new pastor, do you realize what happens after a while? That the personality of the pastor and the church meld together. You become a lot like that pastor, and that pastor becomes a lot like you. The person, it's like being married. After a while, those personalities marry together, meld together. They form an alliance. When Nehemiah, if Nehemiah were to show fear, what would the people do? They would show fear. The second thing, his influence in Jerusalem would be diminished. Why? Because the people would look at him and say, this is our leader. He cowers away in a corner. He grovels in the dust. Three, his spiritual beliefs would be questioned. You say that you believe in God, yet you're fearful of man. And number four, his actions would demote and diminish the laws of God. But then how, how should we, why should we believe God? If God can't protect you, then why should we trust him? This is exactly what Satan desires to do to you and I. He tempts us, leads us, and influences us to sin against God. And then he receives the glory for his actions as we wallow in our shame. Now then, here's something else for us to think about. Satan can, can and will even use someone who we, we may have close fellowship with to entice and ensnare us to sin. You know, Satan has devices. One of the devices he has is to get people who are, who are of, the, of, the same, of the same belief instead of coming together. The people have the same belief in Jesus Christ that he will use them. And instead, instead of coming together in victory, they come together, not in victory, but they come together in vitriol. 
They fight and war with one another. Then yes, Satan uses people. It has been said that we, we at times as Christians kill our wounded. Rather than being a hospital for those who are hurting. Rather than binding wounds, we kill our wounded. So it's been said. Nehemiah appears to be saying in verse 14, I know who my adversary is. I know who my adversary is. But I have learned that my close associates were a part of this plan to cause me to do what is wrong. Now, where, where have you heard that at before? You'll find the same thing, by the way, if you look at Psalm 55. Look at Psalm 55 and verses 12 through 14. David, King David writing this psalm says, For it is not an enemy who, who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. My adversary was once my best friend. Nehemiah is saying the same thing. The only reason why he took time to listen to the guy is because they had kindred spirit. Folks, please understand the, the heavy weight of influence that was placed upon Nehemiah. Because the enemy, the adversary, used people that Nehemiah trusted in and used religion as the vehicle in which temptation came and had made matters all the worse. Had Nehemiah succumbed to the devil's wiles, the people would soon have stopped their work, thrown up their hands in disbelief and disgust, and then the enemy would have come in to destroy all the work that was done. Think of this. Think of all the work. Think of all the work that the church might have done. All the work that you have done through all the years. And yes, I've seen this. But the church does all. And then all of a sudden, somebody gets upset. Somebody gets upset and causes a stir in the church. And all of a sudden, the church that used to be united together is now in conflict together. And this, this group sits here, and that group sits over here. And they argue with one another. The adversary uses people that we trust in. The adversary uses religion as a vehicle to tempt us. Had Nehemiah succumbed to the devil's wiles, the people, the people would have stopped work, would have quit what they're doing, would have given up on their hopes of having a wall, 
of having the city of Jerusalem. They would have given up on Nehemiah. Everything would have ended. It all would have ended. Think of all, think of all the churches of all time. That I, and I have seen this with my own eyes because I was part of it. When they shut their doors for the final time. The doors have been opened to let the few that remain, let them come in. And then at the end of the service, they shut their doors for the final time. All hope is abandoned. But notice verse 12. I perceive that surely God had not sent him. Now consider this. The means by which Nehemiah handles this situation. There, there are two things to note here. Number one, sin, sin, not circumstances, not the actions of others, is that which is to be most dreadful to us. You're familiar with, this, uh, with Psalm, with uh, Romans 6.23, aren't you? Where Paul says to the church at Rome, he says, For the wages of sin is death. All of us are sinners. All of us are going to die. From the moment we're conceived, we're, we're, we're bound to die. However, but Jesus, in Jesus, we are past. Listen, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you are past from death that belongs to, to us because of sin. We are passed from death. And he says in John 5, 24, passed from death unto life. The second thing to note, sin leads to death, but it also lends itself to lead to scandal. It brings us to pride, greed, and eventual judgment. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, you, you read about lots uh, heading toward Sodom. Abraham and, and Lot are, are together. And he says, he says, Lot, I'm going to let you pick first. And you can go there, I'll go here. You go there, and I'll go back here. You go up there, I'll go down. You, you pick it. So because of his pride and because of his greed, the Bible says, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He pitched his tent toward sin. He pitched his tent to where things looked the best. He pitched his tent where there were great pleasures. He pitched his tent to where everything looked bright. The lights were bright. The people running around doing all that they wanted to do. All that they were big enough to do. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. But you know the rest of the story. It is one of shame and guilt and scandal. Let me ask you, friend, where are you pitching your tent? Which way is your tent facing? Do you look to sin and its pleasure? Or do you look to Christ and perhaps a road of adversity and opposition and affliction? Where, where, where are you going to pitch your tent? So as we come to a concluding thought in this message... That's verses 17 through 19. We see the people of Jerusalem, the nobility, befriending the very enemy who had opposed them. You remember a guy by the name of Tobiah? 
Tobiah did not want the walls built, and he ridiculed Nehemiah and tried to have Nehemiah put to death. But the people, some of the people of Jerusalem liked Tobiah because there was a marriage relationship between Tobiah and some of the people in Jerusalem. It is apparent that oftentimes great and royal wealthy people do not always act with wisdom, do they? Not always. It seems as though they had allowed themselves, God surely didn't, to intermarry with the enemy. You know, if, if I marry her, I'll, I'll change her. If I marry him, I'll, I'll change him. You know how well that works? In, in addressing the same issue, Matthew Henry, whom I love to read, Matthew Henry writes, For one heathen that was converted, ten Jews were perverted. A sinful love leads to a sinful league. We always think ourselves as being the, uh, the evangelist of the person we're going to marry. Sometimes that works out, but oftentimes it does not. Now listen to the, the nobility's plea, or plan rather, and we'll close with this. Let there be, the nobility tell Nehemiah, Nehemiah, let there be a peaceful existence. Tobiah has done a lot of good things. Let's be friendly toward him. Let's be friendly toward the enemy. Oh, my friends, listen. Why not just join hands with the devil, sit around the old campfire making s'mores, and hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Are we to be in league with our adversary? Are we to hold hands with the devil and join him because he's a nice guy and he's done wonderful things for us? Is the Word of God falling on deaf ears in our world today? Does the church need an awakening to be reminded of the Word of God that tells us, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord? Do we need a reminder, a reawakening of that? Some Jews were willing to allow the enemy to enter the camp of God's people. Listen to the Lord's instruction to his chosen people as they prepare to enter into the promised land. He says to them, listen very carefully. He says to his chosen people, you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people on the face of this earth. Folks, God has chosen you to be his chosen people. We are not to join ourselves with Belial, with evil. We're not to be friendly toward them. Our adversary is not people. Our adversary is the, is the devil. Don't, don't do that which contradicts the word of God. Stay true to the word of God. You are the church. You are the people of God. 
Come out from among them and be separate. Be a peculiar people. And in so doing, yes, you'll be a people of affliction. You'll be a people with opposition. You'll be a people with annoyances. But you will be God's people. Let's pray. Father, we need to stand tall in difficult times. Lord, there, there is much out in this world to lead us astray, Lord, to beckon us to come to them, to hide ourselves in their temples and take refuge. Lord, may we not do that. Father, may we be found faithful in Christ. Father, may we not create a scandal and demote and diminish Christianity. May we stand firm on a solid rock who is Jesus Christ. whose name I pray, amen. My friends, you know, there is one great hope that we have in our world today. And that hope is, is not, listen, that hope is not found in the church. That hope is not found in the government. That hope is not found in society or in culture. That hope is not found in education. That hope is not found in wealth and fame and riches. That hope is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came to this world, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross, was buried, resurrected on the third day, ascended to glory, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's where your hope is at. We are not to join, we're not to join forces with anyone else and saying that this is our hope. I like the words of that old song. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I ask you, is your hope found in Christ today? As we have this time of response, is Jesus, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you? He's speaking to you about your own need for Christ in your life? Then we invite you to please come forward today. Acknowledge the fact that Jesus has become your Lord and Savior today. Let us celebrate with you what a wonderful thing God's done in your life. But if you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I just want to come up. I just, I just need to pray to the Lord. Pastor, I just want to walk closer with Jesus today. I need to walk closer with Jesus today. The enemy has been, a, has, has been against me. He is tempting me to, leading, leading me away from the paths of truth from the paths of righteousness. The enemy is leading me to, to separate myself from God's people. He's leading me somewhere else. Folks, this is a wonderful time for you to come up here and just find a place up here to pray and say, Lord, strengthen me in, the, in, in, my, in my hour of temptation.